the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we move into Revelation chapter 17, we are introduced to the Scarlet Woman, who she is, who she signifies, and God's view of her. That's next on Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, again, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner returns our attention to Revelation. Specifically, we're looking at chapter 17 today as we are introduced to the Scarlet Woman. We invite you to join us as we continue our studies of Revelation. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Now, I'm going to take the time to describe the actual historical condition of Rome once these bowls of wrath started to be poured out and the culture started to dry up and people started, started turning against one another, hating one another, and how life became dark and violent. Now, there's going to be a few names in here that I may not uh, um, say correctly, but please excuse me for that. <clears throat> it is likely, said one author, that this judgment actually corresponds to wars Revolutions, riots, and worldwide convulsions that reached the Roman Empire after Nero committed suicide in June 68 AD. F.W. Farrar writes in connection of the horrors inflicted upon Rome and Romans in the civil wars by provincial governors already symbolizes the horns of the wild beasts and here characterized as kings yet kingdomless. Such were Galba, Otha, Vitalius, Vespasian, Mucianos, who deliberately planned to starve the whole Roman populace. And in the fierce struggle of the Vitalians against Sabinius and Domitian and the massacre which followed, there occurred the event which sounded so loudly in the ears of every Roman, the burning to the ground of the temple of the Jupiter Capitolinus on December 19th. A.D. 69. And it was not the least of the signs of the times that in the space of one year was seen, wrapped in flames, the two most hallowed shrines in the ancient world, the temple in Jerusalem and the temple of the great Latin God. One brief passage from Tacitus, a Roman historian, provides some of the chaotic condition of the capital. He says, Close by the fighting stood the people of Rome, like an audience at a show, cheering and clapping for this side and the other in terms as if there were a mock battle in the arena. Whenever one side gave way, men would hide in shops or take refuge in some great house. They were then dragged out and killed by the insistence of the mob who gained most of the loot. For the soldiers were bent on bloodshed and massacre, and so the booty fell to the crowd. The whole city 
presented a frightful caricature of its normal self. Fighting in casually at one point, baths and restaurants at another. Here the spilling of blood and the litter of dead bodies. But close by, prostitutes and their likes stood by ready to work. All the vice associated with a life of idleness and pleasure. All the dreadful deeds typical of a pitiless sacking. These are so intimately linked that an observer would have thought. Rome in the grip of a simultaneous orgy of violence and dissipation. There had been indeed times in the past when sinners had fought inside the city, twice with Lucia Sola, gained control, and once under Sina. No less cruelty had been displayed then. But now there was a brutish indifference, not even a momentary interruption in the pursuit of pleasure, as if this was one more entertainment in the festive season. They gloated over horrors and profited by them, careless which side won, and glorifying in the calamities of the state, unquote. So here was dissipation and violence at one and the same time, destroying the city of Rome from inside and out. Now we come to verses 12 through 16, and that is the sixth bowl. Let me read it to you. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Now, the Euphrates symbolized the borderline between the covenant people and all of their enemies. This hundreds of miles long river symbolized the borderline that separated God's people from the nations of the world. And now this river is gone. And now that it has dried up, just as ancient Babylon, with the drying of the river of the Euphrates, kings would come and not only attack the church, but attack Rome, and eventually destroyed Rome. Verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, these unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Now, we've already talked about the dragon, Satan, the great beast, Rome, the false prophet, apostate Judaism and civil religion that convinced people to honor Caesar above all else. And out of their mouths now are coming all these frogs, that are really spirits of demons, that is, falsehoods, deception, false philosophies, all kinds of false religions. And all of these instruments of deceit, spirits of demons, affected the kings of the world and stirred them up to gather together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. That's a great verse to preach on the effects of false doctrine and the effects of false religion that eventually stir nations up to war. And you can see it in the French Revolution. Once what happened in the previous 100 years in France, the French Revolution was inevitable in 1789. Now what happened in the previous 100 years? It was the Enlightenment and the turning of Europe from a Christian base to a humanistic base. 
Once that happened, the bloody war was inevitable. And the false philosophy, the humanistic anti-Christian philosophy that ate up Europe in the previous 100 years eventually inspired and motivated one of the bloodiest wars in all of history, the French Revolution. And you see the same thing here in our text with these frogs. These spirits of demons, these falsehoods, eventually stirred up the kings to fight on the great day of God the Almighty. Now what is the great day of God the Almighty? Well, that is a phrase that is used in a lot of ways in the Bible. The day of the Lord is not just the second coming in the Bible. But it is any day when God pours out his final wrath on a culture. Turn with me to Isaiah 13. And I'll show you that the great day of God, the Almighty, does not have to mean the second coming. And I definitely do not think it means that here in this context. But it can mean any day that God pours out his final judgment on a rebel nation. In Isaiah 13... You see God's prophecy of judgment on Babylon. And in verse 1, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. Then notice, as he describes what he's going to do, he is going to raise his own army to destroy it. Verse 6, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Now, is he talking about the day of the Lord at the end of time? Is he talking about the day of the Lord when God raised up an army to destroy Babylon? Look at verse three, or verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fiery and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. What land? Babylon. So I tell you that to remind you in this context. The kings of the earth are gathering together for the day in which God pours out his wrath on Rome. That is the whole background of this passage of scripture. That God uses the various kings of the earth together to destroy Rome one wave after another. The Goths, the Visigoths, the Vandals, and all the rest until Rome is destroyed. On the great day of God, the Almighty. Surely that is a reference to the second coming, right? No. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men see his shame. When this great day of the Lord comes, it is going to come like a thief. And those who are God's people in Rome had better be watchful and faithful and they better be on their guard lest they be swept away with everything else. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said in another text with reference to the second coming, I'm coming like a thief? Well, he doesn't mean that he's coming quietly as a thief noiselessly as a thief because the second coming is going to be the loudest day in all of history. There's going to be the shout of the archangels. Trumpets are going to blast. The sky is going to burst open. There is not going to be anything noiseless about the great day 
But when Jesus says, I am coming, going to come as a thief, means I'm going to come once unexpectedly as a thief. A thief doesn't announce to you that he's coming. And when the second coming takes place, there will be no signs of that coming. He will come when everyone thinks what is going on is normal. He is not talking about the second coming here in Revelation. Turn to Revelation 3. And notice how that phrase is used or a similar phrase. In Revelation 3, John is addressing the church at Sardis in Turkey in the first century. And he tells them in verse 2, Wake up, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief to the church at Sardis in history, in providence, in judgment. If you don't wake up, I'm going to come like a thief, totally unannounced and unexpected to your church, and I'm going to bring judgment. Look down at verse 11. He's addressing Philadelphia, and he says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So the simple fact that he says, I'm coming quickly, or I'm coming like a thief, does not indicate that he's talking about the second coming. Beloved, you have to allow what is going on in the passage to help you to define the situation. And what he is saying to Rome is, when I come and the great day of judgment occurs when the kings of the earth have been carried up by false doctrine and false philosophy, it is going to be totally unexpected. And it was. One of the waves of invasion that hit Rome was totally unexpected. Everyone was having a great time going to the arena living safely in their houses, enjoying their luxury, while the great Roman army was relaxing. Of course, the world feared the Roman army prior to this, but now Rome is under attack. So the Senate called out the army to defend the city, and they found out the army was mainly made up of Germans, and it was the Germans who were attacking Rome. Through the years, the Roman soldiers quit fighting, and so all of the, they had all these German mercenaries. So between the German mercenaries in Rome and the German invaders, eventually, at a totally unexpected time, the Roman Empire was greatly weakened. Verse 16, And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew was called Armageddon. And there you have it. The dragon, which is Satan, the beast, which is Rome, the false prophet, which is the evil religion that encouraged Caesar worship and who persecuted Christians, and the false doctrines and the false philosophies that came out of their mouth, stirred up the kings of the earth to make war on the great day that God would pour out his judgment upon Rome. And all of the great kings gathered against Rome in a place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, do you know what Armageddon means in Hebrew? It means mountain of Megiddo. 
Guess what, beloved? There's no such place. There has never been such a place. There is not a mountain now. There has never been a mountain in history called Mount Megiddo. Megiddo is a plain in Palestine. And there is not a mountain to be seen there. Rushduni said that God did that deliberately to destroy the dispensationalist view of this being a literal war. But why is it mentioned here? Megiddo was symbolized with God giving great victory to his people when they were very vulnerable and very helpless, particularly under Barak and Deborah and then under Gideon. When they were underdogs, God gave tremendous victory to his people in the plains of Megiddo. But there was a time later in Israel's history when under Josiah, the armies of Judah suffered a tremendous defeat because of Josiah's sin. Josiah had no business raising an army and going to the plain of Megiddo to intercede between Egypt and another country, and God made that very clear. But other than that, one time, an act of disobedience on the part of Josiah that led to the apostasy of Israel, Megiddo, throughout the early and middle history, was a plain that symbolized God's victory over his enemies, even when his people were helpless. So here, written to Christians who knew their Old Testament, he is saying his war is going to be fierce. The great day of God is going to be ferocious. The nations of the world and all of their demons are going to come together to attack the city of Rome and the church. Rome will be destroyed, but the church will not. The battle is going to be at Armageddon. It's going to be where Barak and Deborah were given victory. It's going to be where Gideon was given victory. So here you have this veiled encouragement to the children of God. When Rome falls, it is not something to lose your faith over. It is God removing the biggest obstacle in the advance of the kingdoms over all the nations on the earth. Armageddon was a day of victory for the people of God, just as it was throughout the Old Testament. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since a man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. So here you have, beloved, the enemies of God destroying the enemies of God. Even mighty Rome can't hold itself together because only in Christ are all things cohering together. Verse 20, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. There was a time in the Old Testament when God defeated his enemies by throwing rocks at them out of heaven. And here are these hundred-pound hailstones. 
and I can just get the picture of God throwing these hailstones to destroy his enemies. Because remember, this all came from his throne. What is this earthquake? It is the effect of all these bowls being poured out. This earthquake led to the fragmentation and destruction of the Babylon of that day, which was Rome, the great enemy of the church. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 12, and you'll see what this great earthquake was and is. And I'm going to start reading in verse 22 and go to the end of the chapter. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but all the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptance, acceptable service with reference, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. R.J. Rushduni made some great remarks on this last part of Revelation 16, and I just simply want to read some of these quotes and paraphrase some of these things because they are so brilliant. He says, the Euphrates represented the boundary line between the covenant people of God and their enemies. The destruction of the boundary is the end and objective of Babylon. The obliteration of all standards and protections of the kingdom of God against the kingdom of man. When the barrier is erased, then Babylon moves in to possess the kingdom of God as its own. And so the forces meet at Armageddon. Those with the mark of the beast versus the seal of God. The ghetto is a symbol of every battle where God delivers his faithful people, as with Barak and Gideon. In both of those instances, the Lord's people were, humanely speaking, helpless and certain of defeat. But the Lord revealed his mighty power to defeat the enemy. The forces of Satan destroy the kingdom of Satan. There is an echo of destruction of Babylon. The drying up of the boundary forces the issue, making the battle inevitable. And who is destroyed in Babylon? Not the church. The obliteration of God's law and order destroys the humanistic state, not the people of God. Beloved, that is very important to remember. When you look at our culture and the state as we are moving farther and farther away from the moral guidelines and boundaries of the Word of God, who is going to be destroyed? It's not the church. If anything, it will be the state and the culture and the society of America. 
John talks about the shaking of the earth, which is the continual destruction by God of man's every attempt to secure, achieve security and permanence apart from him. The kingdom of the world will pass away with all of their pretensions and claims in the great shaking which governs history. But the kingdoms of our Lord Jesus Christ grows in power and demonstrates its full and total sovereignty over all the nations, peoples, tongues, and tribes. As king of the universe, Christ commands the very stars in their courses in the war against Sisera in the Old Testament and against the Sisera's of every generation. Armageddon was not a literal battle. It is a symbol Notice it was not fought with weapons. It was fought with frogs, spirits of demons, falsehood. It is a symbol of God's victory, a reminder that the battle and the victory are the Lord's. Things may look dark around us, but Christ's victory is real, beloved. And all nations and peoples who rebel against him will end up on the garbage heap of history. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Mm